Hello, Montrose. Welcome to Motown Knows, a podcast where we invite guests to have conversations about your community here in Montrose. Um, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And every other Thursday, you can sit with us here at 6 p.m. Um, you can watch us as we live stream on Neighbor, YouTube, and Facebook. I'm your host, Justin Tubbs, and I'm excited to have three guests with me today to talk about mental health as September is Suicide Prevention Month, as well as National Recovery Month. Um, today, we have Laura Byard, the Clinical Director with the Center for Mental Health. I have Blaine Hall, the Chief of Police with the Montrose Police Department, uh, Matt Smith, Montrose Police Commander, and with the Montrose County School District, I have Megan Farley, the Threat Assessment Coordinator. Um, thank you all for joining us and helping shed some light on a really important issue. Um, if you have any questions during the broadcast or if there's anything you want to touch on, um, head to Neighbor. That's n-a-b-e-r.montrosepress.com, and you can comment there um, just for those in, in the audience. Um, as always, I want to give big thanks to Delta Montrose Electric Association for sponsoring this podcast and making it possible for us to all come together today. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it. I want to get this conversation started off with just a general question for everyone, um, and that is, what does suicide prevention look like for us here in Montrose? What are the successes, as well as maybe what are some of the gaps? Um, and we'll go around the table and just start with you, Laura. Absolutely. Um, first of all, Justin, thank you for having us. Um, thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about this important topic in our community. Um, suicide prevention takes a lot of different roles and it takes all of us. Being in a rural community, um, we are used to depending on each other. And I think this is one of those where we really need to work together um, in order to protect our community. Um, and to keep our friends and family safe. And uh, Blaine, what does it look like um, from the police department's perspective, um, sort of helping suicide prevention in our community? From from our standpoint, really, it comes down to uh, knowing when someone is in crisis so that we can respond and really pulling down, I think, some of the stigmatism of how law enforcement responds, interacts, with individuals in crisis. So I'd love to talk tonight about some of the training that our police officers go through uh, to help talk with people who are in crisis. And then certainly we can also discuss our, uh, our mental health co-responder program and partnership with the mental health center um, and how um, that has really increased our uh, ability to respond to people in crisis in our community. Great, thank you so much. And. Um, Megan Farley with the school district. Um, what does uh, suicide prevention look like at Montrose County School District? Yeah, so I'm so excited to be here. We actually have a threat assessment program this year. It's um, It's been there about three years. This is my first year doing it, but threats includes threat to yourself, to hurt yourself. And we have a suicide risk assessment program where Students can access through a counselor or another student could tell a counselor that they were worried and there's a process that goes along with that to make sure that those students are safe in and outside of school when it comes to suicide. Absolutely. Um, to sort of get started here, I have a question specifically for you, Laura, um, if we could go back to you. Uh, and that is, what are some of the demographics um, that put people at suicide, maybe at risk of suicide more than others. Um, uh, what are those sort of threatened communities, if, if we have any here in Montrose? Sure, that's a great question. 
Um, so there are folks that are at higher risk. Um, folks in our LGBTQ community, um, our middle age and senior males, um, farmers and ranchers are at higher risk, our veterans, of course, um, adolescents in general. Um, but I just, I would like to say, I guess with that, there's really no one type of specific person. Suicide can occur um, and anyone at any age, regardless of their, um, their associations, their economic status, um, it could happen at any time. And so wanting to make sure while there are some groups who are at higher risk um, that we are very aware that it could happen um, and be a concern for anyone. Sure, absolutely. Um, what do you think our community is doing to try to maybe reach some of those at-risk demographics? I mean, I know you mentioned farmers and ranchers, for instance. That's that's an interesting one maybe most people don't know about, but um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the center is offering a couple courses that I'd really like to highlight. Um, one of them is QPR, um, which is a short 90-minute class that you can sign up for. So that's one of the things we're offering for the community. So you can take that class and that class will help you learn how to have the conversation if you're concerned about someone. So if you see a friend of yours, a neighbor, um, you know, someone who's been down, just off, not themselves, this is a course that would help you um, know how to have that conversation. And then another one is mental health first aid, which is an amazing course to really learn more about mental health. Just like most of us have had first aid at some point in our lives, um, mental health first aid is equally as important and it helps us take care of each other. So that's one of the things we're doing to just really reach out and empower our community. Um, you had mentioned gaps earlier, and I feel like that's an opportunity. Uh, we really need each other and we need as a community for everyone to know what to do so that we can, we can touch everyone. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna jump to Blaine and Matt for a minute. Um, and I was gonna ask, what is the police department's role in assisting with mental health calls and um, how are your officers trained to handle those situations where you maybe respond to somebody who is having a mental health crisis? For us, when someone's in a mental health crisis, that, that call can come in a variety of different ways. And as such, our response can be tailor fit to a variety of different situations. No one situation is going to be the same. But from the very moment we get a call, we're assessing information as it comes in so we can better make the community safe and that person who's in crisis safe. And if there are people immediately around that person, we wanna make sure they're safe too. So I think the key for us is assessing what information is available to us and determining what best course of action we can use to provide that public safety for that person in crisis and the people around them. Now, I do know that Chief did talk about the stigma um, surrounding someone or mental health crises. And I think from an outside perspective, when we respond, it may look to the community like this is a criminal nature because we're police. But oftentimes, people in mental health crises are not committing a crime. So it's important for us to remember that and recognize that as we work through these calls and use what resources are available to us to help that person and help them get into that frontline intervention that they need they need to get help sure can that be uh challenging when um maybe you do get a call um what does that look like with a conversation with the dispatcher for instance and how do you how do you make sure you kind of know what you're going to Sure, that's another good question. A lot of times the people that make calls, whether it's a person self-reporting or someone observing something or a family member um, may not be 
equipped or capable in that moment to give the best information. So we really do rely on our dispatchers to do a great job and they do um, at, at collecting the most pertinent information for us so that we can be safe and we can make sure those people who are making the call are safe as well. So as we get that information, sometimes it may not be accurate when we get on scene, but that's when we do slow things down and develop our own information so we can make correct decisions uh, for public safety. Sure. Blaine, you want to talk about training a little bit? You bet. You know, I think there's a national conversation going on right now about the role law enforcement um, should take uh, in these types of crises. And Matt was exactly right that slowing a situation down and de-escalating it rather than escalating it is so important uh, to, to keep in mind when we respond to these. Um, I was actually one of the first officers to be sent to what's called crisis intervention training. Um, and that was all the way back in 2003. So the Montrose Police Department has been training our officers really for the last 18 years on how to uh, respond and how to speak with, how to develop a rapport with individuals who are in crisis. And uh, this training is, I would have to say, one of the best, if not the best uh, trainings in the nation uh, for trying to teach law enforcement officers uh, what, what a special circumstance this is. Um, and it's a 40-hour training. Uh, this group hires actors who are specifically trained themselves in how to exhibit signs of a person who may be in crisis due to depression, possibly someone who's exhibiting um, autism, uh, someone who uh, may be uh, bipolar or schizophrenic, and then specifically what strategies our officers can use, how we talk, how we stand, how we communicate, um, and our specifically our nonverbal cues, our body language, so that we do everything we can to de-escalate that situation rather than escalate it. And it's really come to the point here um, within the last few years where if someone is in crisis and we are unable to uh, get a hold of them, whether that be via phone or, or uh, you know, some other type of communication device, uh, and we know that they are inside of their home, uh, we're not rushing in. We're not going to escalate that situation. We're not going to um, use officers in that situation to uh, potentially force a violent confrontation. And at the end of the day, uh, we walk away. But with one caveat, uh, we have a program which our uh, former police chief Tom Chin started with uh, the mental health center, and that's a it's called the co mental health co-responder program, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, uh, I was just really, about to ask you about that. Yeah, you know, what it comes down to, and if you want me to talk about that right now, I can. Yeah, please. Okay, it's an individual that holds a counseling uh, degree, but rides with our police officers on a daily basis, and actually now uh, that program has expanded and is now um, also embedded there with the Montrose County Sheriff's Office. So the police department, the sheriff's office share that resource and that individual builds relationships with our police officers 
And then when we have someone in crisis, we have that individual as a resource to not only help our police officers build a rapport, possibly see things that we're not trained to see or that we, you know, never considered in that type of situation. And uh, we, we address that person in crisis jointly. Then uh, when this, we, we uh, were successful at uh, convincing oftentimes that person to consensually um, uh, get treatment or, or ask for treatment, uh, then that co-responder can essentially take that person from there and uh, provide them the resources that, that they need at that time. Then follow up with that person or hand that person off to the correct resources so that uh, they, uh, they get the help that they need. Do you guys have any maybe specific uh, success stories just off the top of your mind, obviously not using names or anything, but um, that you can think of? We've had a ton of success. Um, we've been able to collect, um, connect a, a tremendous amount, about a third of people with mental health services. And so that's amazing. Um, and many of them are doing really well right now. Um, so yeah, I, um, I would just share that, that this program has helped make a difference in a number of lives. That's a good segue, actually, because I was going to go to Megan next at the school district. Um, and I was going to ask you, uh, how does the school district handle cases where a student might come to a teacher and um, express that they maybe want to cause harm to themselves? Yeah. So if that were to happen, that teacher is going to send the child to the counseling office or to an administrator in the building. That won't matter if they're a kindergartner or a senior, that process stays the same and the counselor or the administrator, which would be your principal or your vice principal, is gonna administer a risk assessment um, specifically for suicide. It's a form, it has direct questions for that person to ask so that they know where they're going with this. It's not um, like a freelancing thing that they have to figure out. And then they can consult with me. We have a mental health specialist inside of the school too. Like that's a district person. They can consult with her. They can consult with my supervisor, Jim Pavlich, um, and kind of make a decision. If they decide that this is like something that needs further attention, they can call the Center for Mental Health Crisis Unit. Um, they can, those folks can come to the school. They can take them to the crisis center. Uh, if the parents are willing to do that so that all of those issues are being handled right there. And then when students return from a crisis situation, we build support plans with them to make sure that they have safe adults that they can talk to. There's also um, therapists embedded into the school district this year. So students can get mental health treatments in in school as well. Like if, so those referrals are coming from counseling offices. We're really just trying to cover all of our bases here and um, really looking at getting kids what they need. And, uh, and then you were talking about how there are therapists on, uh, on campus, correct? Is that what you're yeah. saying? Well, they're district people, but yes, okay. they can bring them onto campus. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And, um, how has that been for students? Have, have, has it been a program that's been utilized a lot? So that one's brand new too. Um, yeah. so those numbers are coming. Uh, right. I think it's being well used right now. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we just are excited about serving kids exactly where they need to be served because they are with us all day. Um, and this is where they have access to services. Absolutely. Um, you know, 
kids have gone through a lot in the past year, year and a half, um, being separated from friends, um, going from remote learning to in-person learning, things like that. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about how uh, the school district has sort of approached mental health and its students um, when it comes to, you know, COVID and maybe feelings of isolation, things like that? Sure. I, I think it's coming down to exactly this program that I'm talking about, that we're assessing kids for, for risk of suicide. Also, though, if they're coming in saying, I'm not suicidal, but I really want to talk to somebody about my feelings of feeling anxious, you know, because I'm here, because I wasn't here, or I'm feeling overwhelmed. Um, again, that's going to be a referral to those therapists that are now embedded within our district to really start talking with kids. Those don't have to be coming from the suicide risk assessment. Those people are available to talk to kids about anything that they're feeling about being in school. Absolutely. I wanted to talk a little bit about safe to tell. I was wondering if, um, and this is for those who don't know, this is the, um, it's for Colorado schools. It's an anonymous reporting service um, where people can report any number of things um, from somebody wanting to harm themselves to somebody wanting to cause harm to other people. Um, and it's completely anonymous, so students don't have to feel um, threatened if they uh, are coming forward making a claim that, you know, maybe they're afraid to talk about. Um, so talk about Safe to Tell and, and how it's been utilized or if it has when it comes to mental health crises. Yeah, Safe to Tell is a pretty cool program. Um, it gives an alert almost immediately to key people within the district that that need to know along with, we have school resource officers who get that information um, and then we share it with the school. So when it comes to a threat to themselves, we're going to like our, our school resource officer or and or our partnership with the police department or sheriff's office is, you know, we might end up knocking on somebody's door saying, hey, is everybody okay here? Um, and then following up the next day if it's after school hours or we'll pull the child to the counseling office and go through the processes that we have. Sure, sure. Um, there's a Colorado Health Institute report that shows that access to mental health resources um, remains pretty stagnant. Um, so what is Montrose doing to sort of break apart from those national statistics and set itself apart? And this question is open to anybody who wants to answer it. Sure, I can start. I mean, access is, you're right, is a um, challenge across the nation. Um, and so all of the programs that we're talking about tonight are also part of that. Um, but utilizing um, one of the benefits of the pandemic, of a silver lining, if we're, if we're gonna silver line some things, um, is access to telehealth. And so if you are in a rural part of our community and maybe getting into town was a barrier, um, we now have telehealth services. And so that has increased access um, to mental health care exponentially. And we've gotten really good at it. And so um, that's amazing. Adding the Crisis Walk-In Center um, is huge for our rural community. Um, in addition to being able to walk in 24 hours a day, um, there's also a um, overnight unit, a crisis stabilization unit where um, individuals 12 and up can stay. It's a voluntary unit and um, beautiful. And so, that's a, that's a huge benefit. Prior to 2019, we didn't have that in our community in the Western Slope. So that's a that's tremendous access to care that I'm grateful for every day when um, we have an individual through some of the partnerships that we've been talking about tonight 
that needs care, we, we can just take them down the street to get care. And that's a, a huge benefit in our community. Absolutely. How, how unique is something like the Center for Mental Health, or um, not unique, uh, for a rural community like Montrose? Um, because, you know, I grew up in a small rural town in West Texas, and yeah. we didn't have anything like this. Um, and so to me, it seems like, you know, it might be rare. Yeah, it's incredibly unique, this, the services that we've put together at the Crisis Walk-In Center. Um, we have been able to combine um, a withdrawal management program, a walk-in center, and a crisis stabilization unit um, in a very small building um, that supports all ages. And so that's unique within the country. Um, and so we're, we're very glad to have it and be able to offer that here locally. Very good. At, um, at a certain point in this conversation, we run into issues of inequality and access to resources like housing, food, healthcare. Um, what power do we have at the local level to address some of these? And are they tied to um, mental unwellness? Sure. Um, so I would say when it comes to suicide prevention, um, everyone's stressors are unique. There's no one cause or there's no one set of causes. Um, but if you are dealing with stressors related to housing, stressors related to financial, stressors related to a loss of a significant relationship, just like we, was, we talked at the beginning, those are also risk factors. And so working together as a community, um, which, I mean, these things come up all the time, right? There's great access and support um, for resources in our community, but we need more. Um, access to housing is, a, is a, of course, a need right now in our community. Um, so those things do add a layer of stress. Yeah, and we're, we're running up against time here, um, but I just wanted to kind of open the floor to anybody who wants to, is there anything you want to plug, um, anything else you'd like to add to this conversation uh, before we go? I'll add one something, I'll bat, bat it to somebody else. Um, I just want to leave with suicide is preventable. Um, so I want this to kind of be a, um, a, a call to action for our community. Um, we can work together and we can take care of our community. Um, so wanting to know that. And then the center is offering a, a forum at the event center next Tuesday, the 21st on how to save a life um, and suicide prevention from 530 to 7. So I would encourage you to come and ask questions and talk with us um, and have a conversation. And we would love to see our community there. Thank you for this opportunity, Justin. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Chief, you got anything else to say before? Yeah, just one quick thing. Um, kind of what Laura just said. Suicide prevention starts simply with a conversation. It simply starts with someone who cares enough to sit down with that individual, not beat around the bush, and say, look, are you thinking of harming yourself? And that's a hard conversation to have, but the studies have shown that when someone does that, uh, it really opens the doors for that individual who may be in crisis to then be able to start talking about it and then perhaps seek help. And so I think it really starts with that conversation and it really starts with someone like Laura just said that cares enough to have that conversation uh, so that that individual can, can get the services that they need. Thank you. And Megan, you got anything else to add? I would just, along those lines, just add that it's, um, I think our community has really come together around, our agencies at least, around these. We have 
um, what we call level two meetings. And so there's a lot of community partners in there when someone's really needing support and help that are addressing all kinds of those stressors like housing, food, and that's a family system thing too, not just the students. So those are really neat here in Montrose. And um, I really admire our counselors at our schools that are willing to sit down with these kids and have these tough conversations. Cause like Chief Hall said, it really takes somebody to sit down and say, is this what's gonna, is this what you're thinking about? So. Thank you. Well, that's all for our second episode of Motown Knows. Um, I wanna say thank you to our guests again this week, Blaine Hall, Matt Smith, Laura Byard and Megan Farley. And again, a big thank you to DMEA for their support. Um, Motown Knows was created by myself, Justin Tubbs, along with host Wade Perez. And the show is produced and edited by Sean Fitzpatrick and Sean Flannelly and overseen by Dennis Anderson. Thank you. Thank you.